it's it's very odd so i, I tried to like get a union started and i i couldn't i like didn't work for the facility and i wasn't even working as a nurse and from what i understood you know i i had no like collective bargaining i couldn't be in the union per mm. se because they had nothing to do with me but i had just gotten tired of seeing the way nurses were treated so you know i i tried to to do that and 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 had some traction i mean there were a lot of people that were messaging me uh you know hey i really want to be part of this you know and they were talking to the guy and um the specific facility kind of got wind of it and came in and you know did what they do and they, they scared everyone to death and so it just kind of what is going on guys dr jared nelson in the house the podcast the better man where you can never be perfect but you can always be better today we have a very special guest with us wesley quarles what's up dude what's up man yeah Yeah. glad to have you in here dude we got a lot of stuff to cover uh fellow nurse yeah uh both nurses all that have a lot of history known you for a long time looking forward to getting into everything and uh, very excited to have you dude yeah man glad to be here so i start with this you're in the gym you're chilling you're at the grocery store somebody sees you and they're like no i i know you where do i know you from how do i know you go what would you say to them uh i would probably say i'm the guy that posts crazy things on facebook yeah <laughs> stir things up uh or you know I, I mean i have a twin brother we talked about that we don't look alike but you know yeah people, yeah wally people, quarrels episode nine on yeah. the podcast we got episode 17 today big, pretty big deal people still confuse us which is odd but you know hey i'll answer to wiley or or hey dude whatever <laughs> right so uh start off with this what's your name what do you do go ahead and start off with that dude so i'm uh wes quarrels i'm a nurse practitioner uh, also a licensed contractor. Um, I'm married. I have a six-year-old daughter named Everly, and my wife, Courtney, she's also a nurse. Mm-hmm. Awesome, dude. The nursing background for both of us. When did you graduate nursing school? So I graduated from Jacksonville State in 2011, August of 2011. Go Gamecocks. I don't yeah. know if you knew I went to yeah, JSU. Yeah, I thought too. you did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2014, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. So then kind of a long nurse. We'll just start off with that. So, yeah. you're, so you are a nurse, a uh, nurse practitioner now. Kind of start about the origins of your journey. I've talked about why I started nursing in other episodes and everything. What kind of made you gravitate toward the field and start with the, the base story? It's very odd. Um, so I, you know, when I was in high school. Uh, I worked for my dad. You know, he built houses for, for she's still building houses. Uh, that's all I ever wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be an architect or uh, do commercial construction. Uh, when I graduated high school in 2007, uh, that was right at the start of the housing recession. And so, um, you know, I was like, well, I don't really know what I'm going to do. So I went to Gaza State and majored in chemistry. Uh, I had a job at CVS as a pharmacy tech, and I thought, well, I'll go to pharmacy school. So I was kind of along that line of like wanting to go into healthcare. Uh, but after working in retail pharmacy, and I kind of liken it to the fast food of healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I've got a lot of friends that are pharmacists. They're intelligent people, but retail pharmacy was absolutely miserable. Man, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot. Um, yeah. So that kind of turned me away from wanting to do that. So I was like two years in at Gaza State, um, you know, working on like science, chemistry stuff. And uh, I had a friend, Brett Sanders who was applying to nursing school at Jacksonville State. We had grown up together, and I went with the idea that, oh, I'll go and and do 
their synthesis. I kind of thought like, well, they, they make good money and I, I thought that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward, got into nursing school, uh, got out, started working, shadowed in the OR and just thought it was really boring. And I was like, I don't really want to do this. So, same, same. You know, kind of ended up, I ended up in nursing by accident, but, you know, really fell in love with it when I started working and, uh, you know, really like helping people. And, I, and I've had some really cool jobs as a nurse. Uh, I've always said I've been very blessed in my career because, you know, just right place, right time. A mm-hmm. lot of times just really, really lucky. Uh, well, to share to my some. experience a little bit, uh, that was I was the same, like going to the EOR yeah. and sitting in surgeries and stuff. Some people love that. Uh, not as much patient interaction. I think there's some nurses for some reason that don't like people. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how you get into nursing and not, <laughs> and like, not people. like people, but, uh, but OR, uh, operating room for people that don't know the abbreviation, uh, you know, it wasn't an option for me. I like the patient interaction. I like seeing people get better, mm-hmm. talking to them, all that. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of had a similar experience in the OR, man. Just boring, man. It yeah. wasn't, wasn't for me. It, it was, I, you know, I mean, and I ended up doing with in in peace school i did first assist so i did some or hours you know and and that was kind of cool getting to close and suture and stuff but as far as like you know being there behind that drape you know sitting on a stool doing crossword puzzles whatever those guys do right. i mean they, they have a hard job but they also you know it just seems very boring right you know? right so i didn't want to do that that just shows you nursing is kind of a diverse thing you it know? is i mean everybody has different strengths and weaknesses all that is good uh good to find your niche for sure for sure uh, so nurse practitioner now, mm-hmm. fast forward, you said you graduated nursing school, you worked a little bit, kind of talk about uh, the path after that. Yeah. So, um, I got out of nursing school and actually took a job at Riverview, uh, in the ICU there. I worked with, um, I worked with three other nurses on night shift. Two of them actually have passed away, one from cancer and one from a surgery complication. And they mm-hmm. were, they were pretty young. Um, so I, I was there, I was a really young guy. They were pretty seasoned, um, worked with them for about six months. I had precepted at UAB uh, for my last semester of school in their medical ICU, and I knew people there. You know, I'd been precepting there, so made a lot of friends, and I'd talked to the manager sort of while I was precepting about, mm-hmm. you know, getting a job because I wanted to move to Birmingham and sort of try that out. And I, I enjoyed the sort of rotation I did there, and I thought, well, you know, I really want to work there. Um. So they didn't have any openings <laughs> when I graduated. So I, I took a job in Gadsden and stayed here. Uh, and then about six months into that job, I got an email that they had open positions. So I applied and then ended up getting hired in Birmingham. Uh, commuted back and forth for a little while. <laughs> um, and then ended up just moving down there and getting a roommate that had just finished nursing school at Alabama. Um, and we lived together and worked there. Uh, stayed there for, I guess from 20, like 2012 to 2014, I think, and, Mm -hmm. um, worked in the medical ICU and then eventually got into doing some of their like float nursing. I would sign up for shifts in uh, trauma burn ICU and CV ICU. Uh, and really lucky, man. I was working a shift in the MICU and there was a nurse who worked with critical care transport. Uh, UAB has the. Cessna Citation, and they do some ground stuff, but they do a lot of inter-facility transports all over the world. I mean, um, we actually took a patient to Johns Hopkins in Maryland one time, which was really cool, mm. um, and we got to fly on a really nice jet, but I was working with a nurse who was just doing an extra shift. She happened to be full-time at 
critical care transport. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, you know, I'd seen them. They would come in and bring patients. So I kind of knew. And they wore these really cool, like, flight suits. And I was like, oh, I want one of those. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I'm working with this lady. Her name was Sha- uh, Shauna. And I said, you know, what do you have to do to, to work there? And she said, well, you have to have three years of experience minimum and, you know, so forth, so forth. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got a whole nother, you know, year and a half to get that. And uh, she's like, well, you know, we're kind of needing somebody part time. She's like, I'll talk to the director. It's like, you know, you seem like you kind of know your stuff and like I've worked with you before. And she's like, I, I think we could probably make an exception if you, you know, if you felt comfortable. Cause at that time I was working in, you know, the CVICU and I kind of, you know, they were doing ECMO and I'd kind of gotten, you know, I could really work with any of the equipment and I got really lucky. They hired me. Uh, I would work part time with them. So we took call from home. We had a pager and it would go off and we'd drive and sometimes we'd fly somewhere. Sometimes we just rode in an ambulance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did that. And then I went on a ride with Lifesaver that was here in Gadsden. Mm-hmm. Uh, they let me shadow there one day and uh, I rode with them and, and got sort of the bug to do helicopter. Uh, and so randomly got online, looked at jobs. There was one opening in Demopolis, Alabama. Mm. I was like, never heard of Demopolis. Yeah. But, uh, isn't it, isn't near, uh, it's like South and Tuscaloosa? West of Tuscaloosa. Oh, yeah. 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 So Tuscaloosa, I think's exit 76. You go all the way down to Utah, which is exit 45. So, uh, I guess U- about, Utah, Alabama. Yeah. Utah, Alabama. Not, <laughs> yeah. Not, not, yeah. Yeah. And it's spelled with an E. Right. Uh, right. But anyway, so we, we were in a hunting club down there close and, you know, I, I, after I found out where it was, I was like, well, I'm going to apply. And I did. And I didn't hear anything for like two months. I was like, oh, this sucks. Cause I really wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And at this point I'm already in nurse practitioner school. Um, so one day I was at, uh, like we had a onsite thing at first for class and I was there and, uh, my, my phone was ringing and I was like, I, looked at it and I was like, I don't know this number. And I answered it. And the guy, I'll never forget. It was a guy who said, Hey, uh, this is Jim Goodrow with Aryback. He said, uh, you had put in an application. We want to you to come down and interview. And I was like, I mean, dude, it was like Alabama had just won the national championship or something. Yeah. Like I was so excited. And, um, so I was like, yeah, sure. You know, so we, we set it up for like the next week. I was so nervous the night before the interview. Um, there was a Yellow Wolf concert at Iron City, and my it's really funny. My, my dad, I'd asked him to come down to Birmingham and like uh, stay with me that night, and he was going to go with me to the interview because afterward we were going to go to our hunt camp and do some work. And so I, I talked him into going to the concert with me, and that that's a whole nother oh, story. Oh wow, that's great. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's crazy. He actually ended up seeing yellow wolf's mom and apparently they grew up together or something what? I don't, so like he got to go backstage and i was like so jealous i was like Dude, a lot you? of people listen to this uh, all over the u.s yeah. i've seen i mean yellow wolf people kind of know who that is from the gas area yeah, yeah where yeah. we're from so yeah. that's pretty crazy man and i was like why didn't you come and get me to go back there you know? yeah yeah really <laughs> like, he was he did not enjoy it i've asked him and like i've seen yellow wolf again and i'm like you want to go dad and he's like no once was enough fun fact my dad went to high school with Beyonce's dad. Oh yeah, that's right. He's he, from he, Gadsden. He is Beyonce, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Small world. Anyway, so interview went for the interview. Yeah, so I go for the interview. Uh, I mean, I wore this like this blue suit. It was really nice. I remember I'd never worn a suit to an interview, but I was like, I really want this job. So yeah. I'm gonna 
you know, I think I looked like John Kerry, the politician, man. I was like, you know, um, so I get, you know, we get there, I go in, uh, and it's, I sit down and it's like a panel. I mean, there's probably seven people interviewing me, you know? And, um, I mean, it, it went on for like an hour. It's a lot of questions. Um, and when I left, they said, well, you know, we've kind of got some other people we're interviewing, but they said, you know, you have some experience with critical care transport. So you have done some like flight nursing before and, and, um, we don't really have any other applicants with experience, but we're going to kind of fill it out. Um, so, you know, I went on, went back, uh, to Birmingham, actually in the middle of that, took a job at Princeton in the ER. Cause I was like, well, I need some ER experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and started working there and was in nurse practitioner school. And then again, like kind of the same thing after I applied, like some time goes by, you know, like I think six weeks, not, not two months, but like six weeks. And I'm thinking, and I haven't heard anything. I didn't get that job, you know, and I was just disappointed. Well, I was sitting at home one day and phone rings, same guy. And he, I answer and he's like, uh, you know, Hey, it's Jim. And he said, uh, we, we want to offer you the job. And I, I mean, as excited as I was about getting the interview, yeah, like super pumped, you know, I was like, Oh my God, this is my dream. I want to do this. And so, you know, set everything up. Um, he says, you know, Hey, you, you got to go to O'Fallon, Missouri for orientation. And I said, uh, well, when do I need to go? And he's like, well, the next one is, uh, next week. He's oh, like, uh, uh, if you're willing to go this fast, we'll go ahead and get you. If not, you can wait till the next month. And I was like, no, I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, tell me when and where. Yeah. So like, I, I, I feel really bad. I didn't work out any notice at Princeton. I was just like, Hey, I got this job. Yeah. It's what I always want to do. So go to Missouri, do their orientation. We got to fly and stuff up there because they train you with the night vision goggles and you have to like certify with that. And they do all of that in O'Fallon, Missouri. Um, and got to come back and had to do some more training here and then eventually got to work and, you know, just had tons of fun doing it. Man. That's awesome, man. That's it. a great story. It's a, it's a blessing, man. And I've noticed a trend in emergency medicine. You said you did a lot of ICU and did some mm-hmm. emergency there, but um, they fly them from the scene. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, used to uh, early in my career in emergency, this was 2014, 15, mm-hmm. 16. They'd bring in people to small. I worked at a smaller emergency. Just motor MVCs, uh, motor vehicle collisions, unrecognizable. Yeah. These people had facial fractures, all kinds of stuff. Now, if they sense there could be any type of airway potential deterioration, mm-hmm. any type of risk, usually they just fly them out and get them to the highest level of care, which mm-hmm. is really the best thing to do. And we, we try, you know, when I work there and I, I got to learn so much about like EMS cause you're, you're, you know, as a nurse, you're not really exposed to a lot of like, unless you work ER, uh, yeah. ER lot, yeah. and a lot of scene stuff really, you know, as far as like how the, you know, they respond and right. fire and, and, um, we tried to really, really do a good job of educating because there is a criteria, uh, for, you know, level one trauma and for being flown. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, fall from a certain height or you know, someone in a vehicle from a wreck, there's a deceased passenger or the person, in the other vehicle is deceased. Even if the patient looks fine, that's still an indication that they can be flown. So, yeah. Makes um, sense. Cause it, severe trauma. It does. Them. I mean, if it was bad enough for one person to die, like right. who knows what's so, um, you know, early activation was something we really tried to talk to fire departments and, and EMS about, um, 
because it was the, the data is, you know, I mean, they, they call it the golden hour. So trauma patients, they, you know, they have that sort of hour window where yeah. their outcome, uh, you know, their chance of like having a good outcome really goes down after about an hour. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, the thing about flight nursing is there are some capabilities that they have as far as a, you know, ventilator and uh, RSI drugs, which your typical ground ambulance don't carry. But the big factor with flying someone is the time. Yes. It's, it's faster to get them somewhere. Uh, and especially where we were working in, in rural communities. I mean, those people were an hour and a half drive to the nearest, you know, hospital that was even halfway equipped. And you talk about the golden hour. I mean, that's yeah. gone. It's uh, out the window. Yeah. Yeah. The window. yeah. Uh, for some reason, Thomas Tissue, man, I always cringe when I hear that. <laughs> I don't, it's just so corny to it me. It is. But, but it's, it's true. So true. That, yeah. is, that is the truth. Yeah. Uh, for people that, you know, aren't medical and all that, um, everything in your body needs oxygen, mm-hmm. right? And so the dep- deprivation of oxygen in any form, uh, compromised airway, cardiac instability, whatever, Mm-hmm. Uh, can cause a lot of issues for sure. Time is tissue. For it, sure. It really is. And something um, really, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, no, something really cool that they started doing sort of uh, my last, you know, I finished NP school eventually and, and left there. But toward the end of my flight career, they started carrying blood products, which was really neat. Yeah. So we had that capability, you know, well, you know, crucial. It, the, you know, time, we go back to Thomas tissue, but the quicker you can take care of them and mm-hmm. get them what they need, the better the outcome. That's yeah. proven in every area but i think you know an hour i'm sure uh brain hemorrhage mm-hmm. you know you think about all the stuff within an hour you're going to start seeing yeah those symptoms and i think that's why it's an hour probably clinically it just makes a lot of sense yeah yeah so nurse practitioner so you were doing the flight thing got yep. your mp degree what was the transition like so i when i graduated in peace school i was so happy at Arivac. i was like i don't really want to leave this job you know I, I mean i got the job when i was already in school and i said um I'm going to stay on and just work, you know, as a nurse practitioner when I'm not working here. Mm-hmm. I tried that for about two years and it just, um, sort of the like requirements to, you know, we didn't, we worked 24 on 72 off. So that was really doable. Um, but you could work a 24 hour shift and get a call, you know, two hours before you're supposed to get off. Yeah. And then that 24 hours can turn into like 30, 36. Uh, cause you know, by the time you transport the patient get back, you got to chart, you got to, you know, do all of your, put all the equipment back. Cause you know, you know, you, you have to restock things cause you don't carrying tons of stuff. Um, so I, you know, I got into some situations where I would have a shift that ran over and I, I was supposed to be somewhere else for uh. a nurse practitioner job, you know, and I have to call them like, Hey, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm in Huntsville on their helipad. I won't to Gadsden you know so I was working at Gadsden and Coleman at the time I had transferred to the Coleman area back and you know I would be like I'm literally you know 30 20 30 minute flight back to our base gotta get chart you know gotta chart and then get in my car and drive from Coleman to Gadsden so it just got to where it was you know I was making more money as a nurse practitioner right uh I had I kind of felt like you know I've had this really cool experience um, is it something that I, you know, am willing to sort of throw away all of the work I did in school to just continue this, you know, cause it, mm-hmm. it, it was a job, but it, it also was very boring sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of sitting around, you know, right. just waiting. Well, it's kind of like fire is. Yeah. Not yeah. in like big cities. Yeah. But for people that are in big cities, like smaller areas, firemen, mm-hmm. um, not, not 
throwing shade at firemen. It's nothing about that, but it's yeah. just the call volume is yeah. not there. So a lot of your time is you're just chilling, just you're waiting, around, yeah. but at the drop of a hat, you got to go. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, and there are certain days where the, you know, certain weather conditions where you're just not going to go anywhere. Right. But they still have someone there because occasionally you'll get asked to like ride on an ambulance to help with a critical patient because they uh-huh. just know they can't be flown. So they'll come and like pick us up, you know, and we'll take our ventilator and things. But, um, you know, it, it was a lot of just sitting for 24 mm-hmm. hours and, and I put on weight, you know, you get kind of fat and lazy. And so I was kind of faced with this. Um, there was another base in Alabama that had just had like a fatal crash. Uh, you know, I was kind of getting burnt out and I thought, you know, this is dangerous. Like, do I really want to keep doing this and not work as an NP? So, um, I just said, you know, I, I told my boss, I said, you know, I love this job. I want to stay here forever, but like, I just, I can't waste what I've done. So yeah, ended up leaving and then went NP full time. Well, I had a similar experience transferring from nurse to NP because mm-hmm. I was traveling, you yeah. know, COVID, all that happened. So the money was oh, crazy. crazy. Yeah. So I was making 2X mm-hmm. what I would have made as an NP yeah. at the time. But then as that started to level out, you know, I was like, I'm going to make the decision. I'm going to go back and, and start a, a kind of establish somewhere and start working at that. So yeah. uh, that's how that journey went. But yeah, man, um, nursing unions. We can talk about that a little <laughs> bit. So Alabama, for people that don't know, we don't have nursing unions here. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, but you wanted to establish a nursing union. I'm not going to mention specifically anything yeah. about all that, but kind of talk about nursing unions. What kind of led you to want to do that? And what does that mean to you? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we live in a town and it's kind of odd to me. You know, we have Gadsden is very, you know, sort of infam- infamously known for the still plant in Goodyear. Um, you know, and a lot of, I mean, <laughs> Gosh, I mean, you think about the number of people in this town that have worked at those places. Uh, yeah. My granddad worked at the steel plant, like, and they're unionized. I mean, all these people had unions, so they, you know, good year, a lot good of and, yeah, they did, and so they had, a lot of these people retired with great benefits and great retirement packages, and and a lot of that was because of the work that unions did, and so, um, you know, I, I thought to myself, I, I started researching like other states. You know, California has a nurses union, and and a lot of people will go to California and travel. Um, they're treated very well. Um, there, there's limits on how many patients they can take care of at one time. Right. Uh, they get X number of breaks, and, you know, because nurses are working 12-hour shifts. Like, you know, getting 30-minute lunch, sometimes no lunch, yeah. uh, going to the bathroom once a day. Um, you know, and I, it's just, so I, I kind of thought, like, well, why not try to get a union? Um so, I, you know, there was a guy, there was a guy that I, you know, kind of talked to who was in a union, sort of in an industrial aspect, but he was very connected to some like union organizations and union organizers. And so I, I just kind of reached out to him and gauged his interest and um, turns out, you know, he had some interest in trying to help. And it's, it's very odd. So I, I tried to like get a union started and I, I couldn't, I like didn't work for the facility and I wasn't even working as a nurse. And from what I understood, you know, I, I had no like collective bargaining. I couldn't be in the union per mm-hmm. se because it had nothing to do with me, but I had just gotten tired of seeing the way nurses were treated. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I tried to, to do that and, and, and had some traction. I mean, there were a lot of people that were messaging me. Uh, you know, hey, I really want to be part of this, you know, and they were talking to the guy and um, the specific facility kind of got wind of it and 
came in and, you know, did what they do and they, they scared everyone to death. And so it just kind of died down. Right. Um, it never really took off, but you know, maybe one day. Yeah. You know, nursing is tough, man. Um, you know, it is, you know, California, we have a cap, right? And yeah. I say we, I don't know why I said we. In California, you know, you can only take so many. They set actual parameters. You can only take this many, this many. Yeah. I worked many hospitals on floors and they're just like, we're going to give you an extra patient. And yeah. I'm like, you got 12 it, patients. is it not enough? Like, what? Yeah. what is the limit? What? Yeah. And, and I don't think about my work like I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. I think the safety of the patient. Oh. I think about the patient. When you're taking care of, you're supposed to take care of what? Like in a step down four mm-hmm. or whatever, and you're having to take eight. Yeah, what what does the patient safety look like there? You cannot give that care that is needed to that patient the amount of time, the amount of resources, all mm-hmm. that to the patient at the time, and that's why. Uh, but there's good and bad with unions. I yeah. will say that too. Yeah, but but I think there needs to be some sort of structure to help the nurses on the front mm-hmm. lines. And during the pandemic, we saw a lot of uh, a lot of issues with that specifically. Terrible. Yeah. yeah, you know, because you think about it like this, you know, this is kind of the way I look at it. Um, it you know, we've worked, and it, how many times do you hear this, like, hourly rounding, hourly yeah. rounding, the five Ps, you know, body, position, um, you know, that's, they, they really want you to do that, and that's, that's great, you should do that. But, like, in reality, with the documentation requirements, uh, the medications, everything that you're doing as a nurse, and then the unexpected things that happen, you don't have time to go do that, especially when you have that many patients. So if, you mm-hmm. know, if there was some sort of cap, like you said, um, it would make it more doable. I mean, nurses are hardworking people. Most nurses I've ever worked with just yeah. really go to work and they, they, and they, they bust it for 12 mm-hmm. hours and they're yeah. there to help people. And mm-hmm. it's, it's unfortunate, you know, cause you hear a lot of patients will talk about, well, you know, I went this place and then nurse didn't care and they were, you know, they were mean or, you know, they didn't come and check on me. And, and a lot of times that's not really on the nurse. That's on the environment that they're working in. Yes. And unfortunately, you know, with when you're in a smaller town, you're kind of limited to, you know, the, the resources and jobs. I mean, if you live in a big city, you know, like when I lived in Birmingham, uh, when I got tired of working at UAB and wanted to do, you know, went, went to Princeton, like I left UAB and got hired at Princeton the next week. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like you can just go wherever. Mm-hmm. But when you're here and there's only a couple hospitals or either you have to drive or travel, um, you're going to run into that. So Yeah, yeah. It's a big deal, man. I think something needs to change. I don't know if a union is the answer, to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think something, regulation. Uh, yeah. But some hospitals I've worked at in Alabama are better yeah. at it. You know, yeah, they're they're sure. more forgiving. They're like, and they actually get, talk to you about lunch breaks and all that. But there's a lot of places you're on your own, you know, and I think for a new grad, think about a new grad in that kind of environment. Yeah. You see nurses leaving in mm-hmm. waves, just the bedside quitting and everything else. You can't blame them for that, uh, the environment. And like you said, you put anybody in a pressure cooker type environment, they're going to get irritable. Yeah. They're going to get mad. I don't think people, nurses want to be rude or whatever, but this, the stress that you're under is, is immense. It's just insane. I, and, you know, I, I, I'd see that like. You know, and and we're we're all guilty of this. Nurses are really bad about just sort of eating their young, right? Yeah. Like you see that so much, and I and and I don't think that's a reflection on that they're bad people or that or that like I think it's a reflection of like the the stress that they're under. They don't really have time 
because they're being tasked with doing so much, they don't have time to help someone new. So right. they just kind of mean to them because yeah. they're like, well, you don't know what you're doing. And well, it slows them down. It does. I mean, we've had, I precepted with you yeah. uh, for NP. Yeah. I mean, it, it slows you down. You got to do more work. You got to yeah. talk about it more. Mm-hmm. Usually when you're working, you're just working, you yeah. know, uh, but you got to, you know, there's give and take there and all that. You got to have patience and all that. But uh, Diane Bennett, Jan Yates, Jenny Kelly, Randy Minton, shout out, fellas. Uh, had a great group in the Riverview yeah. uh, ER and very blessed to have them uh, kind of maybe the nurse that I am. Mm-hmm. But not everybody gets that, you yeah, know, and I think sure. that's that's crucial for new grads, especially in people. Uh, the nurses eat their young thing. It's a it's a real thing. Oh, yeah. It really Absolutely. is. So uh, nursing shortage. I got a little info on my phone. Did a little research. And I'm going to say some statistics about uh, the nursing shortage and read this. Uh, according to the B- uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, employment projections, 2021 to 2031, the registered nursing workforce is expected to grow by 6% over the next decade. The RN workforce is expected to grow from 3.1 million in 2021 to 3.3 million in 2031, an increase of 195,000 nurses. The Bureau also projects 203,000 openings for RN each year through 2031 when nurse retirements and workforce exits are factored into the number of nurses needed in the U.S. All to say, the nursing shortage is going to happen. We got retiring people. We got people leaving the bedside, even younger people, becoming entrepreneurs, changing Mm -hmm. jobs and all that. What's your view on the nursing shortage overall? Yeah, I mean, we've yeah. If you think about it, like there's there's always been a deficit of nurses, like Mm -hmm. regardless, and it's going to get worse because you have this generation of the the baby boomers, right, that are sort of retiring, Uh, and then you know in today's world, like it's very easy for people to be an entrepreneur and and make money, you know, in other ways. I mean, more so now than ever. So you see a lot of nurses. I mean, and even nurses who are you know, doing things along the lines of like, you know, they're social media influencers. They're, they have, you know, nurse talk, whatever. And Mm -hmm. that's literally their job. They're not even doing bedside anymore. Uh, So, I mean, the the opportunity to do something different is there. And, uh, you know, as we talked about, you know, if you had a a choice to, to sort of do something that, you know, you made your own schedule, uh, you had sort of a, you know, more time to spend with your family, you know, which, which, thing would you choose and so yeah the the shortage is going to continue and and i know like you know they're opening new schools all the time they're trying to like accept more students i you know jsu when i was there we had 60 people in my class yeah i think now they're they're running like at least 120 through so they doubled the size um and you know that's good but it's still you know i I don't know i don't know the solution we have about 72 yeah i think something like that so it's grown but i worry about the quality yeah. Right. You lower, you know, when there's a shortage of things, you let things slide. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's the only thing I worry about in the future of nursing as a whole. You mm-hmm. know, we got people out here that went through it and they do stuff at the bedside and you see it. You're like, what is that? Yeah. You know, uh, are we going to keep lowering requirements just to allow more people through? That's what I'm concerned. Yeah. About. It, it's I it gets frustrating, too, because you see this in, in the nurse practitioner thing where, yeah. you know, uh, there are a lot of sort of online schools and wherever i mean and you know my program was hybrid i mean we have a lot online right I'll uh, say. but you know it's it's a place that's like in the states or you know well-known school um you know you've got sanford and, and uab i went to uab um, go bulldogs sanford yeah, awesome yeah, yeah and so you know and there are good schools but there are also schools out there that are just 
making money to get people through. And you see this and, and people will get out of school and they'll take a job for, you know, less money as a nurse practitioner, which drives down the pay for other nurse practitioners because they just want to get a job, you know, and, and they're, they're going back to school, um, you know, and not necessarily like putting in the work, um, you know, and, and I, I encourage people to go back to school. I don't really care where you go to school, but just make sure you're getting what you need, you know, get, get the training, get the education, go do the, the clinicals that you really need to learn. Because, you know, when you get out, it's, it's going to be tough. Like you said, the quality, you worry about that. Yeah. Know? Well, I think how in the world did we get to a point where you don't have to practice to be a nurse practitioner? Mm-hmm. You, you can, can graduate nursing graduate school and, go back and, now. and we, I had a guy, great guy, love mm-hmm. him. A great guy, a great NP. Yeah. I think some people can do that, but I think it's a disservice. You, you got to struggle a little bit. Yeah. You got to figure out what real nursing actually mm-hmm. is, in my opinion. Two For years, sure. you know, to do anesthesia, you got to yeah. do two years in ICU. Why not have some kind of requirement there? I've never, is, I don't, is that state? Go by state? No, or is that's that a the schools mostly. I mean, okay. some of them have cut it down to uh, like a year. You could, If you get a year of like a CVICU or something, they'll let you in. Yeah, uh, you're talking about nurse practitioner? In, uh, CRNA. Wow. If you get a year wow. of, uh, it, it most places are two years. Some places will let you slide with one. But nurse you, practitioners, you can just do it. You can just do no, it. Yeah, yeah you just go right back. How can you be an advanced nurse? Without yeah, because I mean, being a nurse, I'll say that's possible. I mean, and you, you could probably agree with this, like you know, compared to the PA program, this is sort of one thing that I dislike about nurse practitioner school and sort of my experience. Sure, you know, I was sort of tasked with getting my own clinical rotations, uh, so you don't get to rotate through every specialty that there is out there. Um, the PA students have assigned rotations; they go through everything. Um, so you're kind of taught all this information. It's very condensed down. And, you know, it's, you're really dependent on having a great uh, collaborative practice person that's going to kind of teach and show you things. I mean, I learned so much more in practice than I did in school. Of course. Uh, in peace school. And, and you know, I, th- I wish that it was more sort of task and you had set rotations that you were going to go through instead of, you know, and I, I'm sure you guys had to do the same thing. You're just kind of like figure it out, you know. Yeah. Well, for so, clinical, that's the way it was. Yeah. Like, you got to find your own preceptor. You, you figure it out, you mm-hmm. know. I was traveling an hour, you yeah. know, to do uh, OBGYN rotations and stuff. Mm. It's uh, it's something else. So, um, are there too many NPs? have another statistic. Uh, from 2021, this this uh, was published in 2021, through 2031, 30,000 new advanced practice RNs, nurse practitioners, will be needed each year through 2031 to meet the rising demand in care. Now, there's a lot of people that say, don't do nurse practitioners, oversaturated, there's too many. I've seen that in some areas, but according to the statistics, we need a lot more of them. What's your take on it? I mean, it's only going to continue to grow because if you look at the trends, I mean, you can look, they're not, they're, they're not putting out enough uh, physicians, number one, uh, you know, they've tried that. You've seen a lot of, uh, the osteopathic schools open at Auburn and in Dothan. They're trying to increase the number of, um, you know, family medicine people and primary care providers, especially for rural communities. Uh, but the, you know, the, the demand is just not being met. And so what you're seeing is that, and I see it now, I mean, you look at a lot of the primary care offices around here, uh, where, you know, a lot of the older physicians have retired and they've replaced them with nurse practitioners yep. in those clinics. 
because people need primary care. Um, so I think that that trend will just continue to grow. And as nurse practitioners, you know, I, I do more sort of inpatient, like acute care kind of stuff. And so sure. you're seeing a, a growth in that as well, where they're being tasked with more responsibility and kind of, you know, because uh, I think it is important. You know, I've worked in smaller hospitals where there's no provider in an ICU at night. Yeah. You know, in my opinion, if you're, you've got people on ventilators, you've got, you know, patients that may need central lines, probably would make sense to have a program there where there's coverage from yeah. some type of provider. Well, see, that's know. why I always like the emergency. Yeah. You always you have always some have level there. provider there. Yeah. Most you have an MD or yeah. DO, uh, but yeah, you have some level of provider there. Um, I think in certain areas it is flooded, mm-hmm. uh, nurse practitioners for sure, mainly bigger cities. You yeah. got... 10 MP programs around the whole city. Mm-hmm. I mean, that city is going to be flooded. But rural areas, uh, you have a lot of openings, I think. I think there's opportunity there. Mm-hmm. What I would say to people, if you're a nurse uh, and you're going to do the NP thing, um, another one of my questions is, is it worth it? I would say it is. I think I, so, I yeah. think so, too. I think the growth is there, but make yourself marketable. Mm-hmm. Have skills. I did family and emergency. Yeah. So, you know, I did two. Uh, it was a dual enrollment. Mm-hmm. Make yourself marketable to where employers want want to have you. Have yeah. experience. You know, don't just do NP. There's no nursing experience there. They they'll see that. They'll yeah. see that you're you're seasoned there. Uh, but is it worth it to you? I think it still is. Yeah, I I I definitely think so. Like it's it's been you know I I've enjoyed it and it's you know it's the pay has been good. I mean it is hard work. Uh, I, I've worked in Georgia and Florida. Yeah. Uh, I like working in those two states. They're a little more nurse practitioner friendly. Um, you know, I worked at Grady in Atlanta and that was a really cool experience. You, you know, that you get a lot of autonomy there. So, um, you know, it, if you're going to do it, decide what you want to do, pick something that, you know, there are jobs in, uh, something that's really big right now. And, and I've kind of thought about going back as a psychiatrist. Yeah. There's a huge need for that. A lot of nurse practitioners. Uh, well, I think there's a bridge. Is there not a bridge there you can is. do? You can do the, uh, add the, add you the can. psych MP. You can, because my, my buddy did uh, acute care and then went back and did uh, EADS. So he, like, because he was working in the ER. And, yeah. Uh, he went back and did that. But, um, you know, there's, that's, there's a tremendous need and they're getting, they're getting paid really well. Yeah. There's kind of, you know, because we have, there's a, there's a movement now where, you know, mental health is sort of getting more attention. And so, uh, people's insurances are covering that better. And so it's finally kind of getting the recognition that it needs. And well, so, I think you see a lot of mental health diagnoses mm-hmm. affect, have physical manifestations, yeah. right? And yeah. cause, and we know depression, anxiety, all that can cause uh, physical manifestations long-term. Absolutely. Uh, wreak havoc on the body and all that. Absolutely. So it just makes sense. Uh, preventatively, you know, they're all about prevention, mm-hmm. colonoscopy, all that, you know. It's the same thing with mental health. Yeah. Uh, you, it's, a, it's a part of your health you really got to take care of. It is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have, I don't know if you know this, I, I have obsessive compulsive disorder, have since I was six. Uh, and it, it's kind of funny because, you know, people will say, well, you know, I'm a little bit OCD. And I'm like, you know, being organized does not mean you have obsessive compulsive right. I was like, I have intrusive thoughts, like, you know, obsessive, you know, thoughts that are completely irrational. Um, but I've had it since I was six. Uh, I was very fortunate. My parents recognized something wasn't right. And right. I, and I see a mental health provider and, uh, you know, it's, it's managed very well. And so like, uh, you know, I think it is important to have that, that mental health. It is, man. It is crucial. Yeah. And I think now, you know, a lot of people, especially men, you know, mm-hmm. are stepping out and it's, 
is coming to light and the yeah. importance of taking care of yourself and everything. The struggle of nursing school, we kind of went through everything and all that. To me, I'll share my experience. Bachelor's was terrible. I had I had no experience before. <laughs> me uh, yeah, I didn't have any. I didn't work as a tech. A lot of people work as a tech. Yeah. I remember going, we had to get like TB tests, mm. uh, you know, and there was a girl there and she was like, oh, I'm starting a nursing school with you. And she was working and all that. And I was like, oh, cool. But she did way better than I did in, in bachelor's uh, school. Terrible. NCLEX was horrible. All that. Now, nurse practitioner school to me was easy yeah especially I, I thought it was easy and i don't know if that's because of the experience that i have i think that played a big part what was your experience and how how was nursing yeah. school for you so it, it's kind of you know i was working as a pharmacy tech so i had like pharmacology was really easy because yeah. i knew all the drug names you know just from working and uh but as far as like the other stuff it, when i was in nursing school i got to work as a tech but like first couple of semesters you know i was sort of green and and it's tough, man, especially as a guy. Yeah. You know, because all the teachers are female. That's and they, true. They're usually very nice to the guys. You know, they like the guys because they think it's, you know, they, they want guys to do it. Sure. Um, well, when they need the help lifting a patient. Yeah. They, they call us, right? <laughs> and you get the most combative. I always said, like, I, I get the most combative people and the heaviest people. Yeah. And I was like. Yeah. I was like, it. In any other place, this would be discriminatory. That's right. Um, That's right. But, uh, you know, it, it's tough, man. Like, I, I tell people all the time that talk about wanting to go to nursing school. I'm like, man, you know, that was the most miserable couple years of my life. Uh, it's very hard. It is. And you're just trying, you know, you're having to learn all this stuff. And it's like completely new information, especially if you're not working around it. It's hard to relate it. It like, is. Make it stick somewhere. It's like, it it's just memorization. Yeah. How, do you, how do you associate it? I mean, I, mm -hmm. I grew up, you know, hanging drywall and doing construction so it's like you know put me in i'm all right. like how do i do this you know um but it was tough but then nurse practitioner school i think it's like you say i i think it's easier because you have that experience and that sort of knowledge base right. um the information's hard i mean but you're you're sort of nursing school prepares you for that sort of rigorous uh study it does you know habit that you have to develop and so I think when you, you know, transition to graduate school, it's, it's much easier because you've already kind of had that foundation and then you've worked, you know, so yeah. it's like, um, time management becomes better, you know, cause when I'm, you know, when I was an undergrad, like, you know, you're like hanging out with friends, yeah. you know, but when, when I was in graduate school, I was working yeah. you know, and I'm sure you did too. So you're working full time and you're in school. So it's like, okay, I really have to focus on this. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Time management's a big deal. But I would say with, with uh, undergraduate, mm -hmm. uh, the further along it got, the better I got. Yeah, I feel yeah, like for sure. that first semester was horrible. Yeah, pharmacology was it for me. Yeah, dude. Uh, like because you had the pharmacy experience. Yeah, I'm like, what is this? Like I, I'm memorizing it, but it doesn't like stick. And then once you get out in practice, it's like all oh, this makes sense. Yeah, but uh, but pharmacology in the beginning was was really hard. It was tough. Yeah, I I felt that way too. Like the first semester is the hardest. Yeah. Second semester is really hard because I, I think we did peds and something else. Well, med search? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, med search, it's just so much information. So I mean, much. It's, it's the book, there's two textbooks. I mean, two yeah, huge books. That's true. That's <laughs> true. So, uh, but, you know, like towards the end, like the the last uh, two semesters, especially the last semester, was just super fun. Yes. Yeah. Not not very difficult, you know, because it's like med surge too. I think it's this critical care kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. we, ha I don't know if Dr. Uh, Debbie Curry was still there when you went through mm -hmm. and Miss Bertelin, Rebecca Bertelin. Uh -uh. So they were that. our critical care teachers. And um, Dr. Curry is a nurse practitioner at doctor's care across from Walmart. Okay. She is absolutely 
phenomenal. One of the most intelligent women I've ever met in my life. Um, right. She taught me so much, like in school, and and then uh, had an opportunity to work with her as a nurse practitioner. And and she's just, I mean, you know, if I needed like a primary care person, like I would, I'd let her do it. You yeah, know, she's she's just that good. That's great. She's been doing it forever. Uh, just incredible, incredible person. Yeah, it's funny you said that. We had Serena Grambling. I don't know if you know Serena. I I knew the name, so I think she was actually a flight nurse at one point. Her and her I husband. I think it was, they were. Yeah. They, well, they were in a. Uh, Arizona? Yeah. I think they, they were in Arizona before. But anyway, she was my critical care. It's funny that you said that. That's who I remember too mm-hmm. a lot, my critical care teachers. And that was toward the end of school. Yeah. You know? Uh, but as you go, it gets better. Uh, to me, it's worth it. You mm-hmm. know, people ask nurses like, should I do it? I-, I say to go for it, man. But I would say there needs to be a component of you that can at least deal with people. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are intolerable dealing with people, don't do nursing, mm-hmm. dude. Just don't do it. Uh, but I would highly recommend it. It's challenging. It's fun, especially if you're a guy. Yeah. Uh, you're going to stand out, I think, in a good way, too, mm-hmm. you know, because of the physical nature. A lot of people, if you get good at IVs, everyone wants to ask you to do IVs mm-hmm. and all that, too. Uh, there's a lot of pros to being a guy and being a nurse, for sure. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's still, you see some people who had this sort of negative association with, like, a, a guy being a nurse. I mean, yeah. I had some guy on Facebook that was calling me, like, a saying something about me being a nurse, and I was like, that's not really an insult, dude. Like I like what yeah. I do and people will like me, you know, they like working with me. Yeah. Um, we got all kinds, dude. People yeah. come up with stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. And you know, I, and I say that I, I have to remind myself all the time, you know, as far as dealing with people, you know, I, you think about like you're taking care of someone. They're usually in the hospital. It's usually probably the worst day of their life sometimes. Yeah. And you know, I have to remind myself that they're sick, you know, and then some, cause some people can be difficult, but you have to sort of remember that like they're going through something pretty, pretty t- trying. Uh, and even if like, cause I think a lot of time we're bad about sort of minimizing people's complaints because yeah. they sort of overreact to things, but in their mind, it's a big deal. You know, like it, you may not think that they're that sick or that injured, but in their mind, they think that they are. So showing, you know, finding that balance of, you know, compassion and empathy and sort of reminding ourselves that like, you know, even though, you know, my daughter, you know, cuts her hand or something, like it's not that big of a deal. Like I know how to fix it. Uh, but, you know, someone else who doesn't have like healthcare experience, they see blood on their child. Yeah. They're going to freak out. That's you know? right. And, and so That's like, right. and a lot of times we're kind of like, man, that parent's really crazy, but, you know, in reality, it's, like, it's just their kid. You yeah. know, and so I, yeah, I have to remind myself of that a lot. Well, empathy's huge, man. Yeah. I mean, I th- if you're in healthcare, man, you got to. It's draining, though. Oh, yeah. I will say that absolutely. Uh, I've seen a lot of nursing blogs, and they say that I'm tired of being empathetic to people. Yeah. I'm tired of it. You know, because it's almost that is the nature of of putting others before you. Yeah, which I think is what we're called to do. Oh, for sure. Uh, that's why self care, man, is very important and all that. But uh, but it can get tiring. But for sure, man. I mean, it's, if if you know, you're not medical and you see blood on your child, you're going to freak out. Yeah. But us, we know, we can look at it, assess it, see if it's, if they need emergent attention, yeah. whatever, like, uh, when your medical is a little different. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. My, my daughter, so when she was two, she had ITP, uh, you know, the idiopathic. Yes. Uh, so her platelets were low. Well, she'd had a, a viral illness like the week before we found this out. And, you know, we didn't take her to the doctor, just a little mild fever give her some Tylenol. It was fine. Well, then the next week, you know, I was working. My wife was staying home at the time. She has these like bruises on her legs, you know, just 
I'm like, man, she's been running because at that time she'd started walking, you know, two year olds fall. And I was like, man, she's been just climbing all over stuff. Well, then my wife is like really concerned when I was working. She's like, it looks a lot worse. Like she has bruises all over her body. And, um, so she took her to the pediatrician, did a blood draw. Her platelet count was one. What? <laughs> it was one. So like normal should be 150 to like yeah. 200, you know? So she had like a thousand platelets in her body, right? We should, wow. should have like a hundred thousand. Um, and then they like look in her mouth. She's got like, you know, her gums are bleeding. <laughs> Huge deal. So, Dang. you know, it, it can be bad. Like I always say, like if you're a nurse's kid, like you almost like have to die to get attention. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it was very scary, man. Like we thought, you know, they thought she had like a cancer at one point, you know, she had to have a bone marrow biopsy. And so oh. it was a very stressful time, you know, but, um, She's fine now, and you know, but That's but right. and I thought about that. I was like, you know, sometimes like we can be uh, yeah overly Too like positive. Yeah, yes. we're like, oh, uh, you're not dying. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it's a balance for sure. It Even is. in primary care, you know, I do primary care. You said you do hospital mainly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you get complaints, and they're like, oh, just very dramatic sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you got to kind of step back, take take yourself out of it, take the emotion out of it, look at it subjectively. Like, mm-hmm. can this be something? You know, yeah. let's make sure. You know. Let's be calm about it, but make sure, um, you know, sometimes it's not needed a test or whatever. Yeah. Uh, going back to the thing um, about, uh, you know, when I started working in the ER, I had never been to the ER. Yeah. Ever. You know, <laughs> and because my mom was a Your nurse. Your mom's a nurse. Yeah. 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 So, like, I, I was like, this is like, I don't even know what this looks like or all that. I don't know the process. Yeah. And, and it's funny because uh, nurses, kids, man, I mean, unless it's just terrible, you don't go, you just mm-hmm. go to the doctor. You never yeah. go to the emergency room or anything like that, you know? Yeah. And you almost have to be dead to even go to the doctor. It's yeah. like, you know, here's some Tylenol. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah just rest, <laughs> drink some water, Pedialyte, whatever. Yeah. We talked about a lot, man. This is great. COVID-19, I hope we don't get canceled for saying COVID-19. Oh, I know. Say it, say it again. Uh, what was your experience, man? Man, it was, you know, it was crazy. I was... <laughs> So, you know, with, with having OCD, I I feel like I kind of had a pretty sort of tough time in the beginning. Um, I was working in the ER at the time. Uh, you know, they, they kind of put up some like makeshift petitions, partitions in the ER, but like, you know, people weren't really wearing masks and they did that. I was in, um, Cartersville, Georgia. Yeah. And they did that in the ER there. Yeah. Put up like a. Like a wall. But, it was weird. And they would bring these like suspected COVID patients back and like, you know, we had negative pressure rooms or rooms with doors yeah. and they'd, the rooms would be open and they'd bring this like possible. And this was early on, but like before we really knew and, you know, we just kind of knew like people are getting really sick from this. Sure. And I would see them bring people back and like stick them in the hallway. And I'm like, you know, they got their mask, like their chin diaper, you know? Yeah. And uh, they're affecting everybody in yeah. here. And I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, this is terrible. You know, I was really scared. Uh, I would go home and like strip in the garage and go straight to the shower. And so, yeah, I just very, very scared. But it's funny. I ended up, you know, I was working the ER at the time and then like several months into it, I ended up like getting an email. I had done some locums in the past, like traveled. Uh Uh, And I got an email. They had a really big need in Albany, Georgia. There was sort of a super spreader event there very early on, like March of 2020. Sorry to interrupt. Was that the was that the place where that happened with that nurse and all that? Oh, something down in South Georgia. That it, something it happened. It was pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, it was they had they deployed the National Guard. There was oh, wow. this uh, the 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 
DMAT team, which I didn't know was a thing, but it's disaster medical assistance team. And it's a, it's a voluntary thing that you can do and you get deployed. And there was, there were some people from like Miami guy from Michigan. I mean, people from all over and they just come together. It's nurses, pharmacists, like paramedics, but, um, they, so this guy flew from Seattle into Atlanta, went to two funerals in Albany. He got infected in Seattle, was asymptomatic, goes to a funeral, like two very well-known people in the community. There's like three or 400 people at the funeral. So he's going around shaking hands, like hasn't seen family in a long wow. time. He's living in Seattle. Um, so, you know, that kind of happens when well, he goes back to Atlanta, I think, or something, he ends up getting sick and then they figure out it's COVID. Well, about a week later, their hospital is at capacity. And we're talking like a, a fairly large hospital. It's called Phoebe Putney in Albany. Uh-huh. Um, probably four or 500 beds. They had five 15 bed ICUs. When I got there, all five of those ICUs were full and everyone was on a vent. Wow. At one point they had to bring in anesthesia, take anesthesia vents to the ICU because they had run out of ventilators. They wow. had CRNAs like managing patients. Cause you know, their vents are different. It's sure. a different setup. Uh, so it was really bad. So I ended up going and, and doing that and then kind of got into some more work and around Atlanta and uh, Florida, but it was tough, man. I mean, you know, I like, especially early on, you didn't really know. And we didn't, you know, we were doing like the convalescent plasma and there was the whole debate about Plaquenil don't, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, that was really all that we had to do in the beginning. You know, there wasn't, it was before the vaccine, you know, we were wearing like the papper, you know, the big space suit. So yeah. It was nuts, you know, absolutely nuts. You know, they were doing chest x-rays on everybody. Yeah. And they were looking for ground glass opacities. Mm-hmm. That was always the big thing. Yeah. We Everybody had it. Like yeah. every x-ray report, ground yeah. glass opacities. Yeah. And I started to think, like, does everybody? I, I hope I don't get canceled by saying this. <laughs> Seriously, because every single chest x-ray came back with that. I don't know. Uh, but that was like a like a haziness to a chest x-ray. Yeah. And if they had that, they diagnosed it as COVID. It's COVID. Um, but it seemed like everybody had that had yeah. that condition. Well, you know, early on, like I know when I was in the ER, like initially we only had like 50 tests, you know, and, and they weren't rapid. Like they had to be sent off. And yeah. so like if you came into the ER and you thought you had it, I mean, and at this point, I think we had seen a few cases and no one had really gotten really sick. Yeah. But we didn't have tests. I mean, so like staff, you know, if you got sick, you couldn't get tested, you know, I mean, they just have enough. Yeah. And so, you know, you kind of saw that and that was sort of scary because it's like, well, I don't even know if I can test myself if I start to feel sick. Yeah. But, you know, as, as it progressed, I mean, it, you know, as sort of things develop, the vaccines, people getting sick and kind of herd immunity, but it, it's very odd. I mean, you know, the, statistically, a lot of people died. Uh, I think that there have been flu pandemics that were probably worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the scary thing with COVID is that like, we just, we didn't know, you know, it just happened so quickly and spread so, so quickly. Right. And, and a lot of people got really sick, but there were also a lot of people who just had it and, you know, normal flu symptoms. But, you know, one thing that, that, that I kind of see now and that, you know, you're seeing a lot of us, the, the long COVID symptoms, you know, what people are dealing with, you know, sort of chronic shortness of breath now, fatigue and, you know, we won't, we won't know like the outcomes, you know, in 20, 30 years down the road as we can study this stuff, but you know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, man, what a terrible time. I was in Cartersville, Georgia. They had on the TV, New York city, you know, everything going yeah. on and all that. And, and the nurses were crowding out like, 
come look at this. And I walk over there and look, and they're saying all these numbers, de- death toll, just da, da, da. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, this, there's no way. And then they're like, we got to shut down the country. Yeah. I was like, there's no way. There's no way. And it happened. What do you think about that? We'll go ahead and go in on that a little bit. Uh, shutting down the country for for the thing. It was wild, man. You know, I like because there was the whole thing. Like Governor Ivy is like, you know, everyone's like two weeks to slow the spread, yeah, stop the spread. That turned and, you into, know, and you're like, you know, this is great. If we can just all stay at home for two weeks, and like, right. you know, and I was a very big proponent of like people stay home. It's, it's funny, man. I was driving to Gas Regional when during the shutdown to go to work, uh, and I passed Lowe's, man, and like it's packed. Everybody was at Lowe's, yeah. you know, like they didn't have, yeah. maybe we got sent home from work, you know, they weren't working. Like, let's go to Lowe's and do home renovation projects. Yeah. It's like, that's not the point. Like, just stay at home for a couple right. of weeks. But, you know, in reality, it, it didn't really, you know, it kind of maybe, and I think the sort of concept behind it was maybe to sort of slow it down enough to let hospitals kind of catch up. Because right. I, I know I did experience this in Albany where, you know, it, it was so bad in the beginning and after they kind of shut things down that it, it, it did slow enough that they were able to uh, sort of, you know, get it all condensed down and have they were able to start doing surgery again and open open some of the other ICU beds up for like, you know, uh, cardiac surgery and things because, sure. you know, people did stay home and it did slow down enough. I don't know that it was, you know, necessarily going to stop it. I think it was more about like trying to slow it down enough that uh, to maintain resources to maintain because it, it really overwhelmed everything yeah i mean uh-huh. you just didn't have enough bodies right yeah. and then if you you know if all these healthcare providers get sick then like who's gonna take care of them? you know so it, it was I, I see the reasoning behind it i think there's a very big um sort of misunderstanding and i, th- I think you know because you there's so much debate now about like should we have closed it down should we have let schools out and right you know, looking back on it, like there, you could look at it several different ways, but it, the way I sort of look at it is, you know, were we doing this to sort of let the hospitals try to get more prepared? I mean, we, you know, I think it, we, it, what was going to happen, happened. People were going to get sick, you know, but, you know, who knows? Like, I, I'd hate to know that we didn't do it and it, it sort of just collapsed our system, you right. know, because that's the fear. But, you know, it's, it, Catch twenty two. Well, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking back, uh, do I think they should have no? Yeah, I don't, because like you said, they didn't. Nobody really agreed to it. Yeah, like they shut it down, but then people were going to Lowe's. Yeah, you know what I mean. It wasn't like a full. You know, I mean, it, it was like a mini shutdown, but everybody's still going public and all that. You know, yeah. it's. It, but uh, it it was a time. It was, it was weird, man. Very odd. I mean, yeah, it's just if you think about like things that happen in people's lifetimes, you know, like our, you know, our parents, it's, maybe it's a JFK, it's a landmark. you know, assassination, 9-11 for us is kind of a big thing, that, yeah. you know, but uh, I mean, this will be something that is talked about well after we're gone from here. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Just, no. But I think the ongoing effects, uh, supply chain, talked mm-hmm. about that a lot on the podcast, oh, yeah. we're, it's still taking, I mean, we're not there yet, you know, it's, it's going to take a long time to catch up. Um, and the mental health effects for sure is, is, is a lot. I mentioned mental health. Uh, that's it for nursing. Uh, for people that don't know, he's an NP. I am as well. Uh, I love talking about that stuff, man. It was good yeah. stuff. So we mentioned mental health a little bit. Uh, talk about mental health with you, kind of your journey through mental health. I've talked about therapy a lot on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I haven't ever done medication. There's a lot of people that do. Uh, you talked about being a mental health NP. Yeah. Uh, what's your experience with mental health, treating it, and your own personal experience? Sure. 
Uh, you know, it, it's I feel like I've as a provider and as a nurse, I, I was always sort of able to sort of empathize more with people with mental health issues because I, I struggle with it myself. Uh, I'm very blessed that my mental health is fairly well controlled. Um, you know, and that I, I sort of was, I always say like, you know, I, I, when I got diagnosed as a child, it was, you know, I, I didn't know and it was really scary. And I'm like, why do I think or feel this way? And, and, you know, and having these sort of constant, uh, intrusive thoughts, like for example, with my obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, Columbine school shooting happened when yeah. I was a kid and I just became obsessed with like getting shot at school. So like I would go to school and literally sit there and think about that all day and just live in fear. And then I would, you know, have these compulsive behaviors and like counting and repetitious things. And then that would manifest into like severe panic attacks because, you know, I'm like this, although it's very like irrational and I know like the chance of someone coming in here and shooting right. this school up is very low. Like we have a police officer here. You know that the fear is irrational, but it's still very real. Like it's perceived as a very real threat. And it's all you can think about. It's all consuming. So you like, you don't, you can't do school. You can't think about anything else because your brain is just constant. Um, and so, you know, and it would be different things through my life that uh, would happen or, you know, I would see something on TV or hear something and then that would become sort of an obsessive thought. And then you would have these intrusive thoughts like of bad things happening as a result of, this. Right. Uh, you know, that's really true OCD. Yeah, that's OCD. Right. And, and, um, but you know, I, I'm still thankful that I was sort of went through that as a child. Cause I don't know, you know, if I'd been diagnosed like in my teens or twenties, then it would have been, you know, cause I know the journey from, you know, I, I, I had pretty normal, like middle school, high school experience. I was able to sort of deal with the worst of this, you know, from second through fourth, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got under control, you know, from, you know, through like uh, the right sort of medication therapy. And then, you know, I, I say this all the time. I moved schools in fifth grade. Um, I had a, a coach that sort of took me under his wing and like really, really just poured into me and, you know, finding a sense of community, like my friends, I think Wiley talked about it. We have the same group of friends that we've always, you know, grew yeah. up with. They were very like, you know, important in that sort of process of me being able to to find a way to deal with that, you know, just accepted me for who I was. And like, so sort of that sense of belonging. So I, you know, there's, there's so many things that kind of came into play that sort of made it where I could manage that much, much better. Um, you know, and I'm thankful that it happened when it did, because like I got to have these, you know, sort of normal experience in high school. I mean, not that I didn't deal with OCD, I just sort of had a better way to deal with it. You know, I learned some coping mechanisms and yeah. and sort of how to deal with it. But, you know, therapy and, and seeing a mental health provider, I mean, it's huge, like absolutely huge. If you think that you have some kind of mental health problem, like if you can, you know, get, get help because it's, it is very like undertreated, but we're doing a better job of recognizing it now. And I think people are more willing to talk about it, yeah. you know, and not be ashamed of it. Cause you know, we, I mean, we grew up in the South, like, it's yeah. kind of the, you know, don't talk about your feelings. That's you right. <laughs> Pull That's your right. boots up and go to Shove work. Shove everything down. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Pull your boots up and go to work. Yeah. That's it. 
That's it. Especially as men, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty big stigma. That's a big deal. You mentioned sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's men that are alone out here, dude. Yeah. You know, and man, there's a lot of people that don't have anybody. Mm-hmm. And I think the anxiety and all that anxiety, I don't know your opinion on this. Dr. John Deloney, talk about him all the time. Uh, Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, personality, yeah. Yeah. he's a part of the team. Mm-hmm. But he has two doctorates in psychology and I think therapy, something like that. Uh, but anxiety is a symptom. Anxiety is not a disease. No. Right. Anxiety is a symptom. Your body telling you something is wrong. I'm alone. Something Mm. is wrong. Something is out of. And so the extreme anxiety that a lot of people feel uh, is due to a lot of different factors. But I think it's an alarm. Mm -hmm. I think when we view anxiety kind of as an alarm more than like I have anxiety, like I am. I am anxiety. Yeah. It's it's your body telling you something. Yeah. And I think uh, people being alone, that's a big deal. He has a lot of books on this and all that. They're in the description. Everybody, you should check those out. But, um, you know, talks about that. You yeah. need a community around you. Since the dawn of time, if we're alone, we're dead. Like yeah. we're going to get trampled or eaten by a cheetah or whatever, you know. Like you have to have people around you. And when you have a society now that you can be alone, mm-hmm. you can be in your house, you can door dash groceries, you can, yeah. go out, you can watch Netflix, you can entertain yourself and all that. Uh, but community is, is vital. And yeah. I think that's, that's a good foundation. Like you said, had people around you, that really helps a lot of things. There, there's a really cool, uh, scientific study and I can't remember the name of the guy that did it, but it's, it's called the rat park study. Uh, they took rats, like community of rats, you know, cause if you think about lab rats, they spend their lives in cages. Yeah. And so this theory was kind of, you know, like it, they were using, I'm going to say cocaine or morphine. I can't remember the exact substance, but they put rats in an environment that was much like their environment in the wild, but they also put them with their family, like in a community. Um, And then they put some rats just in like regular cages uh, and then gave them access to drugs to self-administer. The rats in the community who weren't isolated were less likely, like significantly less likely, like almost at none at all. They would try the drug because it was like through water. You know, they would go and drink the water. Uh But then they wouldn't go back and self-administer. But the ones that were isolated would go and just repetitively do it, like even though it was causing them harm, continue to do it. Right. So the the whole concept, I mean, it's, you know, sort of isolation, but also some of the, you know, sort of, neurochemical changes that that take place because of that isolation or because of different circumstances that uh you know make them more prone to that sort of mental illness and things so that's right it's it's fascinating i mean you know as men we're afraid to talk about things and and, and emotions like you know I, I think it's very difficult sometimes like we feel emotions we have feelings and feelings are there to be felt you know right. but we have to learn how to sort of talk through those emotions like anxiety like we talked about anxiety um i think you know talking about things with other people like-minded people you know getting a support group getting a a, a pe- people around you that you can talk to and tell them how you feel you know people that aren't going to judge you and be there for you. right you know, communities know, belongings huge well feelings are real but feelings are here to kind of keep you safe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, sometimes feelings can be wrong. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not reality. Now, that doesn't diminish feelings and all that. Yeah. But I think as men, especially in the South, we're taught to be extreme about reality. Mm-hmm. Don't feel anything. Just look at what it is. 
And that's not really healthy either. No. I don't think you need to be on the other spectrum where you're ran by your feelings and all that. Yeah. But feel that. It's real. It's your experience. You know, mm-hmm. everybody has a personal life experience. You need to feel that, own that, and uh, but also think logically and deal with that. Um, go ahead. And, and two people will not perceive the same feeling the same way. And right. I mean, I mean, no, it's just, you know, so you're like you say, your feeling is your feeling. It's It's about sort of recognizing the feeling and knowing what to do about it. You know, so that's, and that's something that I've really kind of recently started looking into and learning about, and it's just really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes feelings uh, are weird, can be weird or whatever, man. It's all about your experience. But I will say this, going back to the, the rat study and all that, Mm -hmm. everybody copes with something, right? Mm -hmm. We all have a cope. Mine probably is food. I've talked about (laughs) that a lot. I eat, eat, man, Taco Bell, it it gets me. (laughs) Uh, But everybody has a cope. You yeah. know, and so talking about the rat study, going back to that, they have to be comforted because they don't have a good community around them. Yeah. It just shows you when you're in a positive, uplifting environment, have good people around you, mm-hmm. you might not stray away as much as if you're alone. You need comfort, mm-hmm. you know, drugs, sex, what alcohol. Yeah. All that is comfort, right? It comforts you through those moments. Mm-hmm. And that's how people cope. That's how they do it. And I think people are so easy to judge, especially when we're in the South, Baptist, yeah. all that. Uh, people are easy to judge people. But looking at that subjectively, like if somebody's doing a bad behavior, I always look at it like, man, they've gone through something yeah. or they're going through something, yeah. you know, this isn't just they're a bad because good people can do bad behaviors. Yeah. You know, I think that's a real thing. Uh, look at it subjectively in that way more than judging somebody, you know, it's like, man, they're going through something. They really need some help. Mm. I mean, you think about like, you know, I, I think as society and I'm guilty myself, I mean, and I, and I'm working on it. You see someone like, let's say, you know, they're on the side of the road panhandling. They look rough. You know, they're, they're, they're drug addict. Maybe they're alcoholic or something's going on. Um, you know, we talk about the Rat Park study and, and support system. You know, that, that person's alone and isolated probably. That's you right. Know? Um, and, you know, they may have a substance abuse problem, but we have to look at sort of the reasoning behind that. Like, you know, it, it, it Let's say they're an addict. It, it is a disease, though, right? There's some neurochemistry involved. Uh, yes, it is a choice to take drugs, but it's not a choice to be an addict because you think about, like, there are a lot of people who drink and will do drugs, and they don't, it doesn't cause, you know, because addiction is sort of defined as this, you know, repetitive behavior regardless of negative consequences, right? right? And so some people can do these things and never have negative consequences. Um, but, and I think a lot of this plays into the environment people are in. And so we never know like what someone went through, you know, maybe they lost a child, maybe they were abused as a child, maybe they were sexually assaulted. That's right. You know, these things that happen in early adolescence or early childhood can factor into someone's like mental well-being well into adulthood, you know, so I. It, it It is very, you know, it's something that I have to kind of remind myself. Like, you have to sort of, like, put yourself in someone else's shoes or try to ask yourself, like, man, I wonder what, like you said, I wonder, they must be going through some stuff. Yeah, it's hard. There's a human element. Yeah. I mean, you know, every, I think humans are judgmental. Mm-hmm. I mean, we look at, if we're at a place and we, like, oh, they're doing that, whatever. 
but you have to kind of take yourself out of it and mm-hmm. not be judgmental about it and be like, you know, there's a there's a reason this behavior is going on. Yeah, I've said it before on the podcast. People that go through hard times, people that are judgmental of that, mm-hmm. it's because you hadn't gone through a hard time. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, once you experience something really bad that, that brings you to your knees, really, mm-hmm. uh, you'll be a little more sympathetic to people when they go through hard stuff. I think it's a lot of that, and then sometimes it's like, you know, we all have character defects, right? So we sure. we all have things that that sort of we need to work on and we know that we need to and, work and every on. person individually gravitates towards something mm-hmm. and it's not always the same thing you know yeah. it's all different things and so a lot of like a lot of times you know we're sort of it's really it's crazy i, I was at church last night dr john maxwell was the speaker yeah and he does a ton of stuff on leadership and he was talking about you know sort of not keeping score you know being a um high road leadership he's writing a book I think it comes out in may or something but he talks some about it's high road leadership. And one of the things was like, you know, not keeping score. And I think as humans, we're really bad to sort of like, you know, justify some of our defects. Uh, when we see something that someone else does negatively, then we're kind of like, well, you know, they're doing that. And it kind of makes us feel better about the thing that we struggle with. That's right. Because I mean, we're all human. We all have problems. That's right. We all make mistakes. Uh, so there, there, it's two sides. Either you haven't experienced it or you have something that like, you know, that, that sort of makes you feel a little better about it. And that's, that's human nature. That's okay. Yeah. You know, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. But that goes back to feeling that, you mm-hmm. know, if you feel that, you know, that's, you're a human, you're yeah. a human being and that's a defect too, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but feeling that, owning that, and then changing the behavior, that's a big deal. Uh, went in on mental health, man. What? Hour 15 minutes. This is flown <laughs> by. Dude. This has been awesome. Uh, kind of running out of time. I usually go about an hour 30. Uh, you want to do politics or investing? What do you want to do? Oh uh, man, politics. Yeah, I, politics. I, you know, politi- we yeah. don't talk about politics a lot on here, so this is going to be great. I'm a politics guy, man. I, I know. I know from the <laughs> social media. So I'm going to say something that you said. I've uh, been watching a couple of Republican debates and stuff like that. I haven't talked about politics. I'm just going to kind of state what I am. Yeah. I, I'm not Republican, Democrat. I look at the person I vote for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never, I don't care about party. I don't care about all that. I look at the person, uh, track record, all the factors, whatever, and I make a decision. Yeah. And that's what I think everybody should do. Should but do. apparently there's, po- there's political parties and all that. You said you're worried about the future of your daughter when talking about the previous election. This was, mm-hmm. I think, 2019 or 2020. Yeah. Uh, voting for Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. It's kind of talk about that, where your headspace was there, your politic view, political views as yeah. a whole. I, I, you know, I, it's kind of funny. I, I, I sort of align myself with sort of a more progressive, you know, thought or concept behind politics. And I, I've been, you know, sort of tied sometimes to being like, you know, Democrat or whatever. And it, I don't think it's so much that it's just that I have a more progressive view in terms of like how people should be treated and but you know it really goes back to sort of what politics have become on both sides yeah both sides i mean it's it's just sort of now like no one works together you know you think about george bush or or even president obama and some people say that you know he was divisive i think that you know to an extent like you know a lot of these guys try to work together i mean I think it's sort of been well noted, like Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell are pretty good friends. Like they've worked together in the past as senators to to get legislation passed. You used to see that, you know, when when we were coming up. But now it's just sort of like it's become so divided. Uh, There like are extremes on both sides that have, you know, sort of a lot of power. It's a very small number of people, but they're very extreme. 
and they're sort of like pulling this, you know, like their party to sort of be divisive with them because it's like, well, if you don't do this, you're not going to get elected. Like you, they're it, they have this base of supporters, right? And it's just it's become so bad that like we nothing can get done. You know what I mean? It's it's like it's become so tactful and deceitful where like you know they're signing executive orders to do stuff and bypassing congress because no one will work together yep. you know and it's frustrating you know as as a as a citizen someone you know who's just here working trying to live their life like these people are up here literally you know just acting like children yeah and you know i think the the thing with me is sort of when i think back to the election you know the whole like insurrection and sort of how some of that you know, and I get it, you know, maybe you have this belief that the election was stolen or whatever, but do we really want to be in a place where we distrust our government so much that like historically has, you know, we're, I, I like to think America is the greatest country on earth. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can argue that. Yeah. I mean, and just, you know, like the whole thing that like, you know, we're moving toward this or that, like just work together. Yeah. You know, stop all of this, like, childishness. Like, you know, I think I saw the other day, like, Trump was tweeting about DeSantis wearing lifts on his shoes. Yeah. Like, who cares? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, like, sometimes I wear tall shoes. You know, I'm able to be taller, you know? It's yeah. Like, the world has changed, man. I think yeah. social media is a huge driver. It is. It is. Uh, to be relevant, to be out there. Um, you know, unity is a foreign subject. Uh, it is a foreign thing for a lot of people now. And I think that's just as a whole, everybody's divided. I feel like COVID a little bit after, I feel like lately it's been a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, but man, unity, you know, America, like we're all American. Who cares? Like who cares about, I mean, if you really look at it, who cares about anything? Uh, we want to protect ourselves, this country and all that. But I think it's kind of, some people want their way. They're not going to give up on it Mm -hmm. and all that. And lobbyists, their own interest, yeah. all that. Uh, there's just so many things to po- politics. That's really why I don't talk about that much because I don't really follow it, a lot it, of it. It is but. a touchy thing. And, and, you know, and, I, and it took me a long time. I've gotten a lot better. Um, it took me a long time to sort of realize this. But, like, you know, it's okay if someone disagrees with me. Like, yeah. They can have an opinion. And I, I can respect that. I don't have to agree with them. I, you know, I'm not going to change their mind probably and they're not going to change mine doesn't mean i can't be friends with them and work with them and try to accomplish similar goals yeah. you know and i think that's where we've kind of come in in this world of politics and i i think that's why i said you know worry about my daughter because you think about like we're probably the last generation of people who you know because i mean i was in my when obama left office in what 2016 like yeah. you know into adulthood so anyone that's kind of coming up and starts voting after that, like the version of politics that they see now where it's just personal attacks on people and like divisiveness. I think, you know, our generation probably needs to be the one that's like, no, it it can be better. It was like, you know, people work together because, you know, now it's like these people coming up, like that's all they know. Like this is how politics work. You know, you just go say a bunch of mean stuff about somebody and say that like, you know, they're doing this for doing that, which is all just, you know, very minor, like low statistics. I, th- I think one thing that, you know, people really talk about and, and I don't really have an, a, an opinion on it either way, but abortions, late term abortions, like yeah, if you really, really dive into it, like 
any late term abortion that happens is typically for some sort of congenital problem. Like no one is doing like voluntarily, Oh, you just don't want to be pregnant and you're 30 week pregnant. Yeah. We'll take care of that. Right. That does not happen. Right. But it's like, it's misrepresented, you know, in the, in the public eye, because it's a talking point where people can sort of, you know, and it's just frustrating that that's sort of become like the, the norm for politics is like people are really ignoring like the small things that are happening that impact their life a lot more than the things that they're really passionate about. Yeah. Well, I think the left has gotten very extreme. Yeah. You know, but I think the right has too. uh, And I think the, the right has allowed things to happen. I think people that I've talked to, they're not happy with, I mean, nobody's happy right now with how any party is doing or whatever. But in a perfect world, we'd go out there, we'd say what we stood for, we'd deliver on that and all that, but that's politics, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a lot of puppetry and all that, um, but it's hard, you know, you just got to pray, vote with your conscience. All you can do is vote. Yeah. That's it. There's, and there's just got to be give and take, you know, I, yeah. that's what I think about. Like, we have to stop fighting about things. Well, and think like, of a relationship. Yeah. I mean, you can't have your way all the time. And you got to give and take a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. And stop, like, picking that hill to die on, you know. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I, and I don't agree with this, so I'm just absolutely going to refuse to make any, you know. And, and, and like, you know, the way we've accomplished things as, as humans is, like, you know, we've come together. People come together and make things happen. Like, yeah, there have been some you know, single people that are very innovative and do things, but they still are, you know, usually working with other people mm-hmm. to accomplish a goal. So, you know, uh, a team can accomplish a lot more than one person. Absolutely. You know, I think we just have to get back to that mentality of like, we're all Americans. All America first. Yep. That's what I think, man. Uh, just the unity. I think if we, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, United we stand, divided we fall. Mm-hmm. That's it, you know, and that's that's really the the key of it. Doesn't matter political party, man. We're all people. We all deserve respect. We all deserve life. Yep. Uh, let's work together and let's make it happen. That's really the key. Yeah. No matter what side you're on. Uh, any other topics on politics you want to talk about? No, 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 man. We'll keep it short. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, for a long time I didn't vote. It's it's really weird. So like you know, I would get on Facebook and like say a lot of crazy things about like I'm going to vote for this person or yeah. But in in even the, the 2016 election, I wrote in Nick Saban. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> and I told people that I was voting for Hillary Clinton or something. I can't remember. But I like when I got in there to do it, I was like, I'm going to write in Nick Saban just yeah. you know because I didn't really care. You know, I didn't. What do you think about, you know, the ballot system, counting the ballots and all that, uh, mail-in ballots and stuff? Yeah. Uh, it's the validity of it is a big deal. And a lot of people are fighting like, they should do that. In mm. my opinion, I, I mean, I think you should have to have an ID. You yeah. verify yourself and you vote. That's common sense yeah. to me. Um, I, I don't know why that is that it's like the mail-in stuff and all that. They're wanting that you don't even have to prove who you are. The caveat to that, you know, so my my dad was in and he was on the board of education and and there's a nursing home in Atala, you know, and there are a lot of residents there and some of them, you know, cognitively still okay. And yeah. so a, a lot of times, you know, there were 15, 20 votes that would come from the nursing home and they were usually mail in because they, you know, they can't even go vote. Uh, and they, you know, they were taken care of, like they mailed them in and they were counted like they were supposed to be counted. But, you know, the, the thing about sort of, you know, identification. So if you look at, at, at Alabama, and a lot of people don't know this, but they, 
closed down driver's license offices in a lot of predominantly African-American communities, a lot of lower income communities, which, you know, typically you see vote Democrat. Mm -hmm. Uh, The state of Alabama, which is, you know, sort of predominantly governed by, you know, Republicans uh, over the last 20 or so years, they've shut down driver's license offices in a lot of those places. And so it kind of has discouraged people like that, you know, maybe they can't drive to, you know, they live 30, 40 minutes from Birmingham and the one office they can go to is right there in Birmingham. They don't have a car, you know? So to an an extent, it's like, well, you know, I, I, but I do think there's gotta be some way to verify. I mean, you know, with the melon stuff, because the the thing is, even if it's being done right, you don't want there to be doubt. Right. Right. You want, you want to know like, yeah, we this person vetted out their ID, but so my thing is like we need to make it, you know, why why should we why do why do we need to pay for ID just to vote? It should be given to it, like it should be something that people get for for free. Maybe you know, yeah, yeah, I understand you like the tax to get your driver's license and operate a car. That's fine, but you know, as Americans or humans, like shouldn't we all just be entitled to like identification? I mean, and mm-hmm. it it seems very like trivial, but you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who you know, paying 40 bucks for their driver's license is like a stretch, you know? Well, I'll say why. And I'll say my opinion on that. You know, kind of more the Republican way is everybody pays their fair share. Yeah. Everybody's paying for everything. More the Democratic way now, I feel like has swung. Everything should be given. Yeah. More free. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything has a cost. Yeah. I I look at it just subjectively. Um, The more stuff you give free, the more some way it has to be paid for. Yeah. It's like if we do IDs free, that's coming out of taxes somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this. The government is terrible with managing money. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely horrible. How can we manage money better, put those dollars to better use? I mean, I'm sure if we went away with waste, useless positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked with a physician in Boaz. Uh, Summers Taylor was his name. He was a GYN, OBGYN. Hilarious guy. But he said uh, he'd go into uh, meetings mm-hmm. and he would say, what is your job and they would say i just mainly go to meetings and they're like he's like get them out of here they need to be fired or something yeah. like that but there's a lot of government people that's all they do yeah you know and i'm not throwing shade at government people and all that i'm just saying there needs to be a way to regulate money better so giving people free things everything has a cost the cost the money has to come from somewhere mm-hmm. that's kind of the rub that i have with giving things away for free yeah. now i would say some things should be i mean yeah. we already pay we are taxed on the money we make. We're taxed when we spend it, mm-hmm. you know, and all that. Where is that money going? Is yeah. it being put to good use? I highly doubt it. But it, well, my biggest thing is so sort of you know you think about like basic constitutional rights, you know, and we there's there's a whole another debate about you know access to healthcare and those sort of things. But you know your your basic sort of constitutional right is to be able to vote. Yeah, right. That's and true. So if it's a basic right, and we're going to require identification for that. You know, then we're tech, then in theory, we're making people pay to vote. That's kind of how I look at it. You know, so if we're going to, you know, I'm all for requiring identification for someone mm-hmm. to vote, but we need to make it accessible for them to do that. And, it, you know, and I, I think that like in the, with technology, like we could make voting so much more secure and so much more you know, easy because you look at all these places now, like these polling places you, you saw in Atlanta last time. Yeah. People are lined up around the building, like they yeah. get in, you know, and it's like, why? Like it's it's 2023. We have yeah. like 
I mean, we're walking around with a computer in our hand. Right. And you're telling me I got to wait in line for four hours to, like, point. to do a, a Scantron, you know, to circle some stuff. Like, it's dated. You know what I mean? Yeah. You think about it. Like, we, we have the technology to make it, like, more secure, uh, more accessible. But, you know, it's just, it goes back into this, you know, it, there, no one works together. And, right. Know, so, it's frustrating. But Well, I'm asking you this question. Do they want it that way? Do they want it to be yeah. secure? Do they want it to be easier, where, easier where everybody yeah. that it that should vote does vote? I'm that's sure, you know that's where my question is. I, I'm sure that factors in. You know it does yeah. because the because the, the ability's there. I mean, we we have two user or uh, two factor authentication, mm-hmm. a password in your phone. And there's a way to do it. There's yeah. a way to securely vote online. Oh, yeah. There's got to be a way. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. And maybe it's just that it would like the undertaking to implement it is costly. You know, who knows? Like, I'm sure they're, it's multifactorial, but maybe in our lifetime, we'll see it. You know, know, I mean, things have evolved over time. I mean, I'm sure back in the day they used to, you know, you probably penciled it in and some old lady, you know, hand counted it. At least now it kind of goes. And maybe marked a few. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That's like. Count was a little off. Here's my thing too. And I I say this, like young people go volunteer, go work at the polls. Like, yeah, you always go and it's like these, you know, and they're sweet. They're, they're volunteering their time. That's great. But it's like some old lady or old guy. And that's great. But like young people need to get more involved in the process, whether it's just volunteering at the, at the poll center, like, you know, going and knocking whatever you know more more young people need to get like engaged in like what we can do to make our country better what i would say to that is have we built a country that they would be proud of and do we still have that you know today you know that that would be the the rebuttal i would say to that Mm -hmm. because i don't know man um there's just not a lot of pride in the country it's just kind of like people don't care they're just like i'm gonna go to work and do all that they don't really care about America first. It's not really as much a priority now, I see. I think they just, you know, we have to, like, keep in mind that, you know, if we want to continue to have what we have and keep things great, that, like, you know, we have to. I think we've had prosperity too long. Yeah. You know, uh, there's people, even my generation, our generation, I feel like I understand, but the generation now, Mm -hmm. they lived in years of, I mean, they had, um, you know, uh the war in Iran and yeah, all that, yeah. but it's not, you know, as far as stuff being here and all that, yeah. we experienced nine 11. Like you said, mm-hmm. people that after that, there's not really been anything overly major Mm-mm. happened in their lifetime. So as far as that, that camaraderie, that unity of a country, mm-hmm. they haven't really seen anything like that. And the, in the, you know, COVID, you could say, well, COVID might've done that, but it was more kind of divisive. I mean, people didn't really come together right. you know, as much because, and it's just different circumstances. Um, well, you had the riots and all that. Yeah. You had a lot of stuff there, yeah. But it's kind of odd. I, I did, I did talk with a guy. He's retired. He's a military veteran. He, uh, he's actually a federal agent now, and he said that uh, he read some study that like the younger generation is actually there's some statistic that they're actually like more patriotic. Say maybe they're not as involved. I, it's just very, you know, who knows? Yeah. Um. You know, I I think people need to work together and, and sort of, but we, you know, as, as the, our generation, maybe we should do a better job of, you know, sort of telling young people like, hey, sure. You know, but well, like you said, volunteering and volunteer at the polls and stuff, that's yeah. a big step, you know, get involved, be with people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be a part of the American process. But if you hear it, if you're hearing this, man, uh, go vote. Yeah. That, that's your only chance. Like 
even if your opinion may be wrong or whatever you whatever yeah. it doesn't matter i don't care if you have opposite beliefs of me go vote that's what you, that's your american right you need to do it well and the thing that i think people you know the, when you're going to vote like yes your vote may not really impact the major you know like the presidential election i mean if you have it because of the electoral right but it's the local elections that don't you know what from for instance when my dad would run for board of education those election cycles oftentimes were held, you know, different. They weren't done at the same time as a major election. Right. The turnout for those things would be like less than a fourth of what they would be for a big election. And it's like things that are going to have more of an effect on your life. That's right. Like in your community, things that you should be like, you know, mayoral races and the sheriff's, those things that like have direct impact on your life get less attention and people will go and they won't go vote in those things and they'll vote in some major presidential election where you know i mean historically alabama is going to vote that the those electoral college votes are going to go a certain way right and we get more turnout for that than we do for the things that will directly affect people like their community you know and i think that's where we've got to do a better job is getting people more involved in the process, a uh, political process for communities. And I hate the fact that we have like parties in, in municipal elections and those sort of things. Now people declaring one side or the other, like run on what you want to do for the community and who mm -hmm. you are. Yeah. yeah. Had a big, uh, South side thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a big deal over there. That was a mess. Wasn't it? Yeah, dude, all these, I mean, this is a local, all uh, these local stuff, local city in the us. But people still won't show up. You know, yeah. they still just won't go and vote. It's yeah. like this, you know, who the mayor of your town is or who the city councilman is has more of an effect on you in terms of your day-to-day -day life, things that happen in community, like jobs that they can bring here. Help That's you. right. That will affect you more than who the president of the United States is. That's right. I mean, because, I mean, you're... It, middle class, like our taxes aren't going to change that much. Yeah. Like, you know, taxation is kind of similar and it doesn't change a lot. You know, I mean, if you really think about it versus whoever's president, you know, there may be times where the economy's better and that, you know, you've got more money in your pocket. But the things that really have a long term impact on you and where you live, especially like with recruiting industry and this, like for your kids and their kids. The local elections, much more. Local government, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Craig Ford. Yeah. Doing a pretty good job in Gaston. Mm -hmm. Going to have him on here, hopefully. Pretty soon. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hopefully I'll be on here. Like Craig. So we'll say this. Uh, are we saying Trump-Biden? Is that going to be the 24 election, you believe? Who knows, man? You know, I I, I don't you know, I don't really keep up with as much. As I, used to, I don't But either. it kind of seems like from the polls, that's kind of what Yeah, I watched the debate last night. Uh, they attacked Nikki Haley big. I think yeah. their plan is Ramaswamy. I like him. I think he's Muslim. Uh, I'm we're Christian. Yeah, you know, that's that's what I believe. But I think he would be a good leader. Yeah, uh, he's very young. He's like from the tech tech world. Right? He is. Yeah. yeah, but I like him a lot. But they they went after Nikki Haley. Yeah, pretty heavy. But I think they're kind of trying to knock him out, and then that's just part of the political game, I guess. I don't know. I I used to like watching the debates, and then I'm kind of just like now it's turned into theater now. Yeah. Know, well, like, well, Trump kind of made it that. Yeah. Really, after yeah. he started doing the thing. So if it's Trump Biden. Who you got winning the thing? Oh man, I don't know. You know, I really don't know. I mean, Biden's. Well, you say did you did low. you vote for who'd you vote for in the twenty twenty? I, I voted for Biden. Okay, which and and I do that knowing that like it didn't really matter. And I, yeah, you know, and because I like I said I wrote in Nick Saban that one. 
Yeah. One thing that I really will research, you know, because a lot of times during those presidential elections, there'll be uh, sort of amendments, you know, for the Alabama Constitution or things like, you know, different laws that we get to vote on. And, you know, people will not research that at all. Yeah. They'll just go check them. You know, I'm guilty of it. Like, I've been voting. Like, I don't even know who this person is. You know, and I'm more interested in like who, you know, who I'm going to vote for. And I bet the politicians know that. Yeah, I'm sure so they it's do. Like, People aren't going to research this. Just yeah. throw it in there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, who knows? I, I'm going to wait and see. You know, it. I I think Trump was a good leader. It could be a good leader. I he was. He's just got to be, you know, a little more tactful with how he goes about things. Yeah. You know, he, well, he, you know, he made fun of the guy, the special needs guy. Yeah. Uh, it, man. He is. I think he is a good leader. I great, really do. Great business guy. He mm-hmm. is. Great business guy. Great speaker. He does mm-hmm. well, but it's the knocking people down thing. He's got to chill with that. Yeah. I think if he can chill, he's strong. America needs strength right now. Yeah. Uh, more than ever. I think before, America needs a strong leader, um, and, and I think he can be a good one. But I just think that's his personality, mm-hmm. man. He that, came from money. He is money. Yeah. He doesn't care. He just he's going to say whatever he wants. And that's sort of the thing that I struggle with. Is I look at it and I'm like, you know, is this what I want my child to grow up thinking is okay? Is it okay to behave this way? Seeing my president yeah. of my country acting like that on TV. I see what you're saying there. Because yeah. it doesn't, you know, I mean, even if you're the best leader in the world, it doesn't excuse like, you know, just being mean to people or like, right. you know, because the whole like, I, you know, I don't know. It's just, and it's, it's on both sides. I mean, it, but you know, I think that you have to have some, you know, and, and I like Obama, I didn't agree with all of his policies and agree with everything he did. Sure. But the guy had class and, and behaved like, you know, really well, never really said, you know, just went out attacking people. I mean, there, you could probably find some clips. He said things, but you know, George W. Bush, another example, you know, there are some guys that just like and Jimmy Carter, he was a terrible president. Yeah. The very great man. Yeah. You know, the habitat for humanity, all those things. So we've kind of lost that, you know. Like Well, where, let me just say this. You don't really care if the best surgeon in the US wanted to operate on you. You don't care if he's a bad person. You yeah. just you just care that he, that he does he an means. excellent job yeah. and takes care of you. Yeah. You know. Uh, that's the way I really view politics. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people may not agree with that. Mm. Their personal life and all that, that's them. Yeah. I, I look at what is your product? What mm. are you delivering? Do you deliver on what you say? Are you doing what you say? Out of everybody there, I mean, yeah. I like that Trump is business. You know, he's not a lifetime politician. I'm not big on lifetime politicians. Yeah. That's why I like Ramaswamy. We need term limits for sure. Yeah. Congress. Yeah. 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 That's a whole other, whole other thing. Well, uh. So politics, man. Are we going to say Trump Biden? Do we want to say? Uh, what, what do you think? I mean, I, I you know, Trump's going to win the nomination. I just don't I see Biden making it. I, I don't, you know, I, they better act fast. You know, yeah. if they're going to if they're going to put someone else out there, then they, you know, and I think he announced he's going to run. That's really different. You know, that's I, a, that's you know, a big thing though. I want to say about you said you well, used to you couldn't disagree. It's so important to dis. I don't think we have completely the same yeah. political views. No, but we can talk but, about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, we can agree to disagree and just yeah. go on and vote or conviction, all that. Um, there's a lot of people that don't like people that like Trump. And yeah. I would challenge that. You mm-hmm. know, there's good people that like Trump, you yeah. know, and all that. Uh, there's good people on both sides. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my brother, Wiley, he's one of the nicest guys you ever meet. Right. You know, Wiley would do anything for anybody. Like, absolutely just the guy, you know, he's a big dude. Even bigger heart, uh, you know he. We don't agree on 
perfect, but that doesn't make him a bad dude. Right. You know, I love my brother. So, it, you know, I, it, there, you can, you can agree and you can disagree. So I, you know. Well, yeah. I just challenge people to do this. If you don't understand something, seek understanding mm-hmm. rather than trying to yeah. negate what people think and feel and all that. Just try to seek understanding. Go mm-hmm. to people humbly. You know, I mean, I've done that many a times and it works out, man. If you just say, hey, tell me what, what this, why do you feel this way? You yeah. know, what makes you think this way? And if you listen to them, you'll probably understand it and, and you're a lot more in common than what you think. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. We went a long time, man. Uh, hour 41, doing nice, pretty solid. Nice. I, and we're going to end with this. If you want to come back in, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, 5, 10, 20 year plan in your life. So five years from now, we'll start. Five years, you'll be 38? Uh, no, I'll be 40. You're 35? 35, I'll be 40. What? Yeah. That's crazy. 40 years I don't know old, you're that man. much older than me. Yeah. Uh, 40 years old. What's your life like? Where are you going to be at? The man in five years, my daughter will be 11, I guess. Yeah, I'm doing the math. Yeah, 11. Um, you know, I don't know, man. I, I, I hope to keep, you know, be be working in healthcare. Uh, you know, I don't know if I want to be in the ER in five years. You know, it's a little bit rough. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I just uh, helping people, um, spending time with my daughter, you know, like uh, I, I read a uh, thing the other day that you spend uh, 75% of the time that you're going to get to spend with your kids between like birth and 13 years old. So I believe that, you know, I'm kind of like in, in that time period, I just want to like spend all the time with her that I can. Cause you know, after 13, they start doing things and then they're driving and then all of a sudden they're gone, you know, they're, yeah. they're like often married. And so, yeah, you know, I, in five years, you know, just working, hanging out with my family. Yeah. 10 years from now, 45, 45, where are you going to be at, dude? Be old as dirt. Uh, <laughs> You know, man, uh, so I, I do the construction stuff too. my, my goal long-term and, and I, you know, and I had, we didn't talk about it, but you know, I, I did some real estate investing and stuff in the past, had rental properties and, uh, we'll you know, have you back. We'll talk about yeah. investing on that. My goal, you know, is to eventually be in a position where, uh, you know, I can just sort of, you know, work, but not really work, you know, just let yeah. my money work for me. So yeah. that's kind of the, 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 maybe that's the, you know, 20 year plan, but you know, maybe headed in that direction where I'm like sort of, you know, phasing out of like the nine to five grind every right. 40 hours a week and, and doing more stuff that I enjoy. 20 years from now, you think you'll still do medical? You think you'll still be doing that? Oh man. Yeah. I'll always be, you know, I'll always do that. Cause I like helping people. I'll never yeah. fully get out of that. Um, yeah. I thought with two chiropractors, uh, episode 16, shout out, this is 17, uh, you know, helping people, seeing that hearing them thank you mm-hmm. there's no better feeling man yeah to, to me I, that's the ultimate ultimate success for me and you see so many healthcare providers like work until they're really really old and it's like you know you do it for so long i mean you, you enjoy it like just keep doing it yeah you know well, if i ever get tired of it i'll i'll quit well people retire and just sit <laughs> yeah and waste away yeah. like if you have something to give you yeah. know and you're still still in it man give it mm-hmm. give give all you got uh, Wesley, appreciate you, dude. Man, thanks for having and me. And thank bro. you for being vulnerable. Yeah. Appreciate yeah, thanks, all that, man. dude. All right, guys, that is pretty much it. Uh, we are on YouTube, the podcast, The Better Man. Like, comment, subscribe to us on the YouTubes. Hit the notification bell. You're going to get every single notification, my shorts, the videos, everything I post sent directly to you. We are on every single audio podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. Give us that five-star rating because we give 
five-star service. Thanks for watching. Until the next one, peace.